Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the vine. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Bindings. I'm Max Lopez and today we are going to cover Death on the Nile by Agatha Christie. So this is actually my second Agatha Christie book in the last couple of episodes. I really enjoyed and then there were none. I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought it was a lot different than what I usually read. And a lot quicker to read, which was kind of nice. So I decided that I would give Death on the Nile a shot. My dad suggested that I give it a shot, and I know it's a new movie that came out a couple of months ago. And actually, when I'm recording this episode, it won't be. Uh, it, it's actually going to be on HBO Max next Tuesday. I'm looking at it's March 24th right now for me. This will probably come out in early May, so you can go watch the movie. I've heard it's pretty good. A coworker, a coworker of mine said she really liked it, so that's kind of cool. And she's a big Agatha Christie fan, so. Kind of, uh, I'm excited to watch it. I was hoping I could go see it in theaters, but it was out of theaters already, which is so fortunate now that we live in a world that when a movie gets out of theaters, then it goes on HBO Max like the next week. That's awesome. Can't wait to watch it. So it'll be out next Tuesday. I think it's March 29th, uh, which you guys, this is, this is, this will be quite in the past a couple of weeks by the time you get around to listening to this episode. Or maybe we're long in the past. Maybe you're going through some old episodes at this point. Not sure. So this week we're covering Death on the Nile. I really liked it. I liked a lot of different aspects of this book. And uh, it was actually published on November 1st, 1937, which I love going back to some of these old classics, especially because, you know, I love the, I love the, modern sci-fi fantasy stuff or it doesn't necessarily have to be modern sci-fi fantasy but a lot of it's from like the 50s onward and it's cool to even go even further back so death on the nile as being an agatha christie book it is a mystery it is a little bit more of a mystery not a little bit more but it's more of a traditional mystery at least in my eyes because we actually get a detective and apparently the detective his name is hercule uh, Poirot, I believe I'm saying that right. I might be saying it wrong. Pretty sure I'm saying it right. I looked it up several different times. Poirot, P-O-I-R-O-T. He's from Bel- He's Belgian, but that is for sure French. And he says French things a lot. Like he says Mademoiselle a lot, which I kind of like to say that Mademoiselle, kind of a fun thing to say. Uh, I don't know. I don't speak any other languages and I don't think French would be, I think I'd want to learn Spanish. I've attempted to learn Spanish through the apps and everything like that. I always kind of give up or just lose steam with it. I probably should get back to it. It seems like something useful, useful to be able to do. So we actually get a detective in this book, which uh, we didn't necessarily have. And then, then there were none. So it was kind of cool to read like a God's honest detective book with Hercule Poirot, who apparently is like used quite a bit throughout Agatha Christie's books from what I saw it seems like there's like 20 to 30 books where he is a detective uh Murder on the Orient Express being a very famous one I've heard of that never read it this being the only two books by her I've ever read as well as The Murder of Roger Ackroyd which a friend of mine actually wants to read with me uh well we're not going to read it to each other because that would be kind of odd it'd be kind of fun I read to my students all the time so I do like reading aloud but 
he was actually going to... I'm hoping he still wants to come on the podcast and do the murder, murder of Roger Ackroyd. That was one of his wife's favorite... That's one of his wife's favorite Agatha Christie books. And apparently she really likes Agatha Christie. So I would really like to cover that with somebody. And Because and, these kind of murder mystery books are kind of fun to talk out. I've been... Uh, my coworker had read Death on the Nile and the other one and and then there were none as well and it was just kind of fun talking through it especially as i hadn't finished the story yet and it was just overall it was a fun read i really enjoyed it they're quick the copy i had was about 330 pages the what i saw on the internet looks like on average they're around like 285 pages which is a pretty quick read i did think that and then there were none was a little bit speedier as far as i think it kept my attention i read it in a shorter period of time at least over a shorter period of days with this book, there were some nights, I read it over about five days, two or three of those nights, I only read maybe a chapter or two, it just didn't pick, it just didn't grab me like the, uh, like, and then there were none did, but uh, the other two nights, I did put in a good, good chunk of time reading and was able to finish it, and I finished it last night. Now, basically, what this story revolves around is a group of people who are unaware of each other, who are going on a vacation in Egypt, which sounds pretty nice, actually. I've always been um, interested in visiting Egypt and also makes such a cool setting. And if you didn't already guess or probably already knew because you've read the book or maybe seen the movie by now, it takes place on the Nile, the Nile River, which is pretty cool. And I thought that that was a a fun way to, you know, I've never really read a book where the setting was a boat the entire time. Now I've read some stories where ships were certainly the setting for periods of time, but I've never read a book where a boat, and this is like a steamboat, was the main setting, besides Egypt, of course. And essentially, the story revolves around, Hercule is basically just there at the beginning. He's just on vacation. You know that clearly he's a you know one of the world's most famous detectives, according to him. So you know that he is going to probably have to solve some sort of mystery. And of course, because of your powers of deduction, you are able to already figure out that because it's an Agatha Christie book, that somebody's probably going to get murdered. Not only that, but the title is Death of the Nile, a uh, Death on the Nile. So you know, kind of kind of put two and two together, and you 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 figure out that there's definitely going to be murder most foul involved in this story. So right away, you're introduced to Lynette and Simon Doyle, and Lynette is formerly Lynette Ridgway, and she is actually very, very wealthy, and she is very, very well known through what it seems to be the higher class of the world. Everybody on the boat seems to know her, although she doesn't necessarily seem to know everybody. So everybody seems to know her. But she just kind of seems there. She doesn't necessarily seem super arrogant. I didn't think so. At least there's not a whole ton of character development in this story. I would say with Lynette and Simon, you probably get the most along with their kind of counterpart, which is Jacqueline de Belfort. And Jacqueline actually was the former... um, I guess, I don't know, they don't refer to each, I don't think back then they said boyfriend and girlfriend or terms like that, but she was with Simon, and her and Lynette were actually really good friends, and at some point over the course of their friendship and her relationship with Simon, Lynette actually betrayed Jacqueline in a way, and she ended up um, marrying Simon herself. So Simon leaves Jacqueline to 
B with Lynette, they get married, and Jacqueline is like completely torn up over this, like really not in a good place because of this relationship, and not only a betrayal from her significant other, but also a betrayal from what I assumed was like her best friend, which was Lynette. So she really feels like she was backstabbed, and she's kind of like on the brink of a mental break like throughout the entirety of this story and especially at the beginning because essentially what's happening is Lynette and Simon are on their honeymoon which apparently because they're quite wealthy is just lasting forever and they're traveling from country to country and Jacqueline how she's affording it we're really not so sure is following them wherever they go and she's basically stalking them. And Lynette and Simon feel very uncomfortable about it. It is frustrating both of them quite a bit. And they really kind of feel on edge and don't feel very comfortable around Jacqueline. Now, Hercule, like, because this is a small boat, everybody kind of has to mix and mingle with each other. And Hercule ends up talking with Jacqueline, um, or he talks with Lynette and Simon first, possibly. And they tell him about their unease, about how Jacqueline's been following them around, basically the world. And then Jacqueline comes clean to Hercule herself and ends up admitting that she wanted to kill them and that she was so frustrated with them. So Jacqueline, right away, you're like, you know, this girl seems to have murder in her heart. I'm not really so sure. She really if she is going to murder, it's really truly going to be a crime of passion because she is uh, like really, I mean, she is mentally unwell at the beginning of this story. And you can sense it. She's not very coherent, I guess is the best way to put it, in my opinion. She, she is very emotional and she's letting her emotions fuel her, which creates, you know, a very interesting plot at the beginning of the story. And it really kind of drives it because Agatha Christie does take a little bit of time to get cooking on these stories. And I've experienced it in both. I would honestly say this one took a little bit longer. And so you're also introduced to several other characters. And I really feel like the point of Agatha Christie having so many different characters, because boy, there are a lot of characters. There's a lot of names. All their last names seem to be incredibly long. And it's honestly, and I like to, you know, not to sound too arrogant or anything, but I like to consider myself pretty good at keeping some of those things in order. But boy, is it a challenge because you're not really sure who's important or who's not important. And right away you get, you know, you understand Hercule, Poirot, very important. Lynette and Simon, very important. Jacqueline, very important. You're not going to forget her because she has big interaction, a big interaction with Hercule. And so everybody out else you're trying to weed out. Again, this is a somewhat new genre for me, not something I've I've dived explicitly into these just straight up mysteries before. So I'm I'm kind of new to this whole organization and this whole structure that especially that Agatha Christie uses here. And I think that in a way the use of multiple characters in a mystery is to create more suspects um, for you to kind of in a way be confused about, which I found interesting and I, I see the importance of it and I see where she's coming from. Again, I had talked about this in with and then there were none. If this book was longer, I think it would be a lot more difficult to understand. So I am thankful that all of the, if all those characters are going to be in about midway through, once the murder happens, you kind of have the idea that 
who's important and who's not important, who's going to be a suspect, and who is just kind of leading up to the events. Because again, you know that somebody's going to be murdered. And I'm going to give it away right now because I don't think it's really uh, ruining anything for you to know who gets murdered. But after a very short period of time, Lynette actually almost gets a boulder dropped on their head when the steamboat actually stops for like a day excursion. They go to some ru some ancient Egyptian ruins and she a boulder almost drops in her head, which would have been a quite a brutal way to die to be smashed by a boulder. But she narrowly averts uh, she narrowly avoids that, which is you know good for her. That would have also been a, a very hard thing to uh, a very hard murder weapon to deduct anything from because it was a boulder and not an actual weapon. But long story short, Lynette does get murdered, and she actually gets shot in the head uh, on the course of, over the course of one night. She is murdered, and at the same time, Simon Doyle is shot in the leg. So this is the point where uh, that I start really enjoying this book, and and I think where I will enjoy many different mystery books because of this type of point because this is the point where you in your head and as well as our detective Hercule Poirot start piecing together what was everybody doing at this time he was here she was there what would his motive be well she doesn't necessarily have a motive and it is kind of fun to try and piece all of those things together now I'm not going to reveal anything more about who the murderer was, especially because it's a movie now and I don't want that to play a role. But there are twists and turns. There are definitely leads and Hercule goes down a path and then you end up going down another path. Hercule actually has kind of a companion to solve this mystery. His name is Colonel Race. He just happens to be another person on the boat. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because Hercule and Colonel Race, like, in my opinion, everybody should have been considered a suspect, but they automatically rule themselves out, which I found, you know, not like, I'll, I'll be, I'll spoil this for you. It wasn't either of them. But there were quite a few red herrings. There was actually several red herrings that I thought, um, the, like, the few characters that weren't necessarily, like, they like super important, but they got a little bit character, more character development built out, were definitely put there and built out specifically to be red herrings, which was cool. And I found it fascinating. And I did find it hard to kind of keep everybody together just because they're, they didn't get a lot of face time in the story, but still really good. Still, I, I, I thought that, I thought that it was well written. And I thought that once Lynette is killed, the story picks up a lot more. I would say, and then there were none, was a lot more speedy just because at, basically at the end of every chapter, somebody's dying. But this story still had a lot of a lot of fun attributes to it and, and I think definitely worth reading. Now, Agatha Christie's got a ton of books. So I kind of assume that if you, if I were to read a bunch of them, I would probably pick up on a formula of hers because I assume that there has to be that with these mystery writers because it would be hard to kind of keep it, you know, keep that, uh, like keep it spontaneous as far as like your, you know, your avid fans being able to predict and, you know, take, oh, she did this, 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 and this in her writing. Oh, it's got to be this person's got to be the murderer. So I'm not well-versed. I'm probably not going to read a ton of her books 
uh, at least not in a row, because I think that they'll hold a little bit more value to me if I space them out. But I do plan on reading The Murder of Roger Ackroyd in the near future. Now, another thing that I don't love about these mystery books is, you know, I'm such a, a I'm such a, uh, a theme person when it comes to reading. The lessons we learn from these stories is like a huge part of why I read and a huge part of why I make this podcast to talk about those things. A lot of the times... With, uh, with books that have very heavy themes, I don't even really talk about the book very much because I get so wrapped up in the theme. And I love that. That's the whole purpose of Beyond the Bindings. That's like what I'm trying to do here. But these mysteries, they're kind of a conundrum for me because they don't have a ton of just like underlying, like really existential meaning behind them. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're very entertaining. Like I had said the other week when I did, and then there were none, they're very much like movies. They are what they are. And at the end, you get a little conclusion. And that's what it was. There wasn't some deep thought. These books aren't 1984. They're not uh, the Lord of the Rings, you know, where I can dig out that deeper meaning from, or any of Neil Gaiman's work, or, you know, any of those really deep level of thinking sci-fi or fantasy books and they don't have to be sci-fi or fantasy but even like I mean, not even like but Hemingway Hemingway's writing has a lot of that deep theme in it as well and a lot of that has to do with humanity but I was still able to drag a little bit out of this story and I would say the main theme that is kind of peppered in throughout is betrayal and friendship and how brutal that can be and feel to be betrayed by a friend. Now, I'm very fortunate because uh, I, I've lived a life where I've never truly been, I've never been betrayed by a friend. Like, I, I couldn't imagine, uh, like, having that betrayal with a, with somebody that you care so much for, especially, like, Lynette and Jacqueline seem to have been, like, truly best friends. And, like, that sort of betrayal where basically she ends up leave like uh her significant other leaves her for her best friend like that's got to be pretty harsh on you and especially like you could see where that probably would cause that mental damage and that um that it, those issues that Jacqueline kind of comes into the story with so betrayal and friendship I think uh a betrayal in somebody that you trust even regardless of if they're truly your friend or not even just somebody that you work closely with or interact with on a regular basis but you trust wholeheartedly it would be very difficult to deal with betrayal for them so i did think that was a good theme i don't know if she necessarily intended on it but it definitely was something that i picked up now before i kind of conclude everything i did want to talk about hercule poirot for a second because he was such an interesting character because, like, he was so blatantly arrogant of his ability and his powers of deduction. Like, he was just, he was, in his mind, he was the greatest, he was the greatest detective. And the only reason, the only reason, honestly, and this is not even just me, I like, and I liked him. He was kind of a funny character. I didn't necessarily like him as a person, but I liked him as a character. What I, he was so, the whole, his whole purpose of solving this murder is to prove that he is so amazing he has no other reason besides completely selfish reasons he is so arrogant and i found that just so fascinating because i've never really read a story like i've read a story with arrogant characters of course they're about humans humans unfortunately can be quite arrogant sometimes 
And he is just so inherently arrogant. And I found that so fascinating. And, you know, we all have arrogant moments. There's moments like I am guilty of this as well. We've all been arrogant. I've been arrogant before. Uh, arrogance is something that I've, in as I've gotten older, is something that I've tried to really keep in check. I never necessarily thought, maybe if you know me, you disagree and you're like, oh, Max, this guy, he's like, he was like the most arrogant person I ever knew when he was in his early 20s. I don't think, I hope that's not the case, but maybe. And, uh, you know, I, I remember being like arrogant about things like music, like, oh, this is the greatest this and nobody else can say anything about it because I say that it's this. And, you know, I, like maybe sometimes that comes out a little bit nowadays, but I promise you, I like that's something I have tried to keep at bay as I've gotten older because it's just such an archaic and like stupid way to think you know especially with things like that where everything that I would ever be arrogant about was something that was truly subjective and I think at the time I probably didn't even know what the word subjective means or meant and luckily learned it eventually because you know you really grow as a human once you start realizing that like the things that you think are great doesn't don't don't have to be great for everybody else, and uh, I found a lot of so I, I found a lot of uh, peace within that, like realizing that like I didn't have to be like oh you know my musical taste is so much better than yours, my view of movies is better than yours, you know it's that gatekeeper mentality, and I know gate gatekeeping is a somewhat new term, at least somewhat new to me, um, but. Being a gatekeeper, just it's not very pleasant, and like I, I don't want to be one. I don't want to project that, you know, especially in the things that I love so much now. Like I don't want to be a book gatekeeper. I don't want to be a music gatekeeper. If you like reading, that's awesome. Read whatever you want. Read the girl in the window. Read the girl who sat and watched a murder across the street. Or read Stephen King. Read The Lord of the Rings read read romance novels that I would you know wouldn't ever read read whatever you want listen to whatever you want look at art you want to look at don't listen to anybody else enjoy what you want to enjoy and uh it's just I, it was funny that through the arrogance of Hercule Poirot I really started thinking about that in myself in other humans and uh it, it is something to be aware of if I if I can give one little tip to anybody young growing up who just like, just naturally, that's just how humans are. We can kind of be like that. Put it in check. I, I, I'm telling you, it's pretty helpful as far as how you look at yourself. And uh, I, I find it pretty beneficial. Now, this is kind of an interesting week because on the horizon, I really don't have any plans um, as far as, well, I do kind of have some plans. I have a couple different books. A friend of mine just started reading Ready Player Two. And I love Ready Player One by Ernest Klein, and I, I kind of want to do Ready Player Two. If you're curious about Carrying Comfort, I'm still going to cover Carrying Comfort. I'm just waiting for my book club to meet. I wanted to talk, do my book club about that we're covering Carrying Comfort for, and then I will uh, get back and actually make the episode. So, Ready Player Two, keep an eye out for. I've got another Lawrence Block book that is another. Hard Case Crimes, it's called Sinner Man. I'm going to read that too eventually, probably actually next week. So Ready Player Two, Sinner Man, and Carrying Comfort. So keep an eye out for those. And as always, go get a library card. It's silly not to have one. They're just giving books out. you got to return them, but they're just giving them out. It's so great. Fantastic. And as always, I'm Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Bible.